0: What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 364, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, September 7th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment our mma and wrestling edition airs every wednesday at 11 30 p.m eastern eight thirty p.m pacific and our gaming and entertainment edition you can catch on thursday nights at 11 30 p.m eastern 8 30 p.m pacific this broadcast is simulcast on audio and well let me rephrase that this program is simulcast both in audio and video format Via a couple of different providers. But first and foremost, of course, I always have to direct you to go to MTRLive.com to get our high quality video feed plus audio only feeds as well as our live chat. In addition to that, obviously, you can check out the simulcast in a couple of places Twitch, YouTube Live, StreamUp, Up, Vaughn Live, Daily Motion, and um, I believe you stream as well. In addition to that, the audio only. A version of the show simulcast on mixler m-i-x-l-r you can listen to it on obviously mtrlive.com but you can also download the mixler app for ios or android punch in my take radio and listen to a live high quality feed of the show if you're a fan of black as the new black you can also listen to their show live on mixler when it airs as well Archived episodes of this broadcast and any others are available on RageWorks.net. Plus, you can find audio archives in podcast format on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And video, of course, will be shared on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. Happy to be back in the saddle after taking a week off due to the Labor Day holiday. Allowed me to get some work done, refocus, and of course, continue to give you guys the best programming possible as mtr marches towards its 400th episode which is pretty insane to say the least uh we got lots on deck for tonight including uh this past weekend's ufc event we're going to talk about obviously cm punk's octagon debut we're going to get into raw smackdown live of course we will take your calls as usual plus i will give predictions for both the backlash pay-per-view and this weekend's ufc event but before i get into that a couple of housekeeping issues I want to get out of the way. First and foremost, um, if you've been checking out RageWorks.net, you'll know that we now have uh, JVB's Anything Podcast available on RageWorks.net. JVB, of course, I mentioned a couple of weeks back, came on board and will be working with us on the tech side, but also branching out into a couple of other things he brings with him. Aside from the Anything Podcast, of course, his other gaming podcast, The Post Game Report, And you can start looking for episodes of that on RageWorks.net. Definitely check them out. Let JVB know that uh, Rich sent you. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear from you. And like I said, keep an eye out for his work on RageWorks.net. So far, he has uh, posted his video review of the Note 7. My review is still in progress as mine is going to be written. There's going to be some video, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know the deal when I do this stuff. Uh, There's also going to be a video review of King of Fighters 14, on the ps4 gonna post that and also put out a written piece as well so be on the lookout for that as for our broadcast schedule for the month of september everything thus far is pretty much on schedule with the exception i believe of the 15th as we will be covering an event so there will more than likely not be a show on the 15th of course Keep it locked to RageWorks.net for details with regards to any schedule changes as well as any of our social media accounts as well. Last but not least, I know some of you have been asking about the iHeartRadio and uh, Spotify setups and the iHeartRadio setup was finalized with the exception of a new logo that needs to be done uh, for the RageWorks network. I know some of you guys have been looking also to subscribe to the individual shows Just a reminder that you can drop the RSS feed for any of the shows on the Rageworks Network into your podcatcher of choice, and you'll be able to download the episodes as well as listen to them via whatever software you choose, whether it be iTunes or any of the different podcatchers available on Android. Uh, Last but not least, trying to do a bigger push for video on the YouTube channel, Uh, really would like to get our official RageWorks channel, up to 100 subscribers, obviously more, but definitely at least a minimum of 100 only because, you know, it opens up a couple of different opportunities for us and I think 100 subs is nice. So if you are a supporter of MTR or RageWorks for that matter and you have not subscribed on YouTube, please head over to youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. We're putting lots of stuff on there besides obviously episodes of My Take Radio. We're also going to be putting up Uh, product reviews event coverage etc so it's going to be a a nice plethora of content for you guys and of course you can see our other channels on there as well including Slick's YouTube channel uh, Jay Santi's TRSS channel and of course JVB's channel as well look for those links in the YouTube page right on the front page and you'll be able to check out those channels as well and subscribe if you have not already also this weekend we're going to be covering the lucha libre promotions event which will see pentagon jr and uh, phoenix square off in a two out of three falls match uh obviously keep it locked to our instagram and facebook for photos from that event the last event that lucha libre promotions put together was stellar a lot of great talent was there plus we saw an amazing match between phoenix and pentagon jr not sure how they can top that last match but i have a feeling that we are definitely in for a treat that's going down this Saturday, and we're going to be covering that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all our usual outlets, also Snapchat. But we're also going to have photos from the event on our Facebook fan page within you know, 24 hours of the event being completed. In addition to that, like I said, the 15th, we're going to be covering an event with some tech stuff, and we're going to be sharing some content from that event as well. Last but not least, as always, call the number 347-324-3541, 347-324-3541 if you want to participate in tonight's broadcast. All right, let's get this ball rolling and jump into some MMA, shall we? so i want to talk about this past weekend's ufc fight night event which was a pretty solid card from top to bottom actually substantially better than i had hoped um not really too many bugs so to speak the only fight that i felt was kind of ugly was the gustafson black blackowitz fight which was it was all right i mean you know for a for a for a fight night card there were some legitimately badass fights. The only fight, like I said, I wasn't a fan of personally that I kind of felt was an ugly fight was the gustafsson uh, Blackowitz card. But in terms of the overall presentation of the event, I thought it was a solid fight night card, and I think one of the better ones that we've seen recently. I mean, the fight between Arlovsky and Josh Barnett, two of my favorites, was tremendous. Got to see some really, really good groundwork. From Josh Barnett, Arlovsky, of course, even in in his loss, was a warrior. Also, the beautiful knockout via knee by Ryan Bader was out of this world. I just, it was ridiculous. I mean, you know, Ryan Bader's been a guy that's always been considered uh, one of those guys that's always on the cusp of a a title opportunity. And I think um, him dispatching Alir Latifi in such uh, devastating fashion is going to put him back on the championship radar. Like I said, the Gustafson Blackowitz fight was okay. I kind of felt it was paint by numbers. I think that um, Blackowitz was just a better, he he had a, he was kind of the dark horse going in. In my opinion, everybody kind of felt that Gustafson was going to have a dominant performance, get himself back in title contention. And that would be it. But Blackowitz definitely pushed the pace, uh, made him work for that victory, even though he did get it via unanimous decision I still felt that he made Gustafson work a lot to earn the victory where Gustafson goes from here personally remains to be seen. Um, I think definitely perhaps a, another fight with Anthony rumble Johnson maybe, but I know that a lot of people are saying that it's going to probably be rumble and Jones with the winner, obviously meeting Daniel Cormier, which I think if you put those fights on paper, there's better there's much more excitement and a lot more at stake putting jones together with a guy like anthony rumble johnson just because there's there's the potential not only for a, an amazing fight from you know from the stand up but also because it's more than likely going to be a highlight real finish for one of those two guys i think that if i had to be a betting man for that fight i would probably and, I, and i'm saying this against my better judgment i would probably take John Jones over Anthony Johnson only because John Jones has a more well-rounded attack. But to, you know, to that point, I also have to say that Rumble Johnson has the potential to put out your lights with one shot. So, I mean, Jones's chin has been tested, but I also feel that he hasn't been hit with by a guy with as much force as Anthony Johnson brings to the table. But I do feel that, like I said, that fight would be the more exciting fight on paper but everybody knows that Gustafson and Jones have unfinished business as well, but we'll see how it pans out. We're still waiting to see how the John Jones PED uh, suspension situation pans out, which as of this week, there are no additional updates, but of course, once I get some new ones, I will share them with you guys. The other fight I did want to talk about, Andre Olovsky, Josh Barnett was really good. I, I, was really excited to see Josh Barnett win that fight, even though it was against a guy like Andre Arlovsky, who I'm also a fan of. Um, I think Arlovsky, he you know, he definitely looked the part. He looked really good in the opening round of that fight, but then as the fight progressed and it went to the ground, we knew that it was going to get into Josh Barnett's wheelhouse, and sure enough, that is exactly what happened as Barnett took the fight via rear naked choke in the third round. Huge fan of Josh Barnett. I think that that's one of the he's one of those personalities that would not only translate well into a uh, color commentary position but would also make a great addition to any re- pro wrestling organization's roster with his catch wrestling style. Now, obviously this this puts an interesting wrinkle in the heavyweight rankings because a guy like Josh Barnett uh, beat a guy who was on the verge of title contention and You know, or let me rephrase that, has beat a guy who was always talked about being in title contention, and now, obviously, Barnett has a a case that can be made for him to challenge for the heavyweight title. Really excited, like I said, to see him win that fight, even though it was against Arlovsky. $50,000 bonuses went out, of course. Josh Barnett took one for his his performance and fight of the night went to Barnett and Arlovsky, which was well-deserved. Ryan Bader also got the $50,000 bonus, $50,000 win bonus for his uh, highlight reel knee uh, on Alir Latifi. Either way, UFC Fight Night 93 was solid. Of course, this weekend, UFC 203, a lot at stake here. A lot of really good fights on paper. Obviously, all eyes are on the impending debut of CM Punk as he squares off against Mickey Gall. Also, Travis Brown, Fabricio Verdum, which people are looking at as a possible... Uh, number one contenders fight. And of course, Stipe Miocic putting his belt on the line against Alistair Overeem. Now, aside from those fights, Uriah Faber's on that card. Uh, JoJo Calderwood taking on Jessica Andrade. The prelims on Fox Sports 1 are solid. Ian McCall, Ray Borg, uh, Nick Lentz. Also, Betch Kohea taking on Jessica I, which I think is going to be a stellar and very, very violent affair. Now, as for the fight itself, I got to say that You know, the card is tremendous. I think there's a lot of really good fights there. And I want to give you guys a couple of predictions before I get into the other MMA news of the week, only because this card is right around the corner. And there's so much going into this this card. I'm only going to do the picks for the main card, only because the prelims for Fight Pass and Fox Sports 1, I'm going to try and do those after uh, after I do a little bit more homework. I'll probably do those on Instagram like I've done before on our RageWorks account. Um, I'll start from the opener, which is going to be Jessica Andrade, JoJo Calderwood. I'm a really big fan of Joanne Calderwood. Her performances on The Ultimate Fighter, her striking. I I really feel that she has the potential to be a breakout performer. And I think that this is going to be a great showcase fight for her. I think Jessica Andrade is... No slouch by any stretch of the imagination. I think she will definitely give her a run for her money, but I am going to go with Joanne Calderwood taking this fight. The California kid, Uriah Faber will be taking on Jimmy Rivera. Um, Uriah Faber, always, uh, an exciting fighter to watch a big fan of his. He's, he never goes out there and puts a, uh, puts out a lackluster performance. And I think, um, he's going to go out there and try and get himself back into title talk. Um, with a performance against Jimmy Rivera. So I'm going with Faber on this one. Um, like I said, I've seen Faber fight a few times, and on more than one occasion that I've, that I've uh, said that he wasn't going to win, he comes out and he just does the upset, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is the case. So to be on the safe side and not have any egg on my face, I'm going to go with Uriah Faber on this one. Now, Mickey Gall and CM Punk. There's a lot of ways that this fight can be viewed. A lot of people are going strictly by the evolution of punk videos that the UFC has put together. And obviously you got the editing and everything else to take into consideration. And they are delivering a narrative that many people are, are going by as gospel. And as someone who's been watching mixed martial arts for quite some time, video packages, training packages, all of that goes out the window... When you step into the cage and you get punched in the face and CM Punk in his, in his last couple of videos that we've seen has, he's looked okay, obviously a lot better than he did in the first video and some of the other stuff that has been shown online. But I'll be honest when I say that CM Punk has all the tools and is capable of winning this fight. A lot of people are probably going to say, Rich, why why do you even think that if this guy's never fought in the cage before? And the reason I say this is because CM Punk is un, is an unknown variable. He walks into the cage with the the scouting that's been done on him been about as basic as can be based on YouTube stuff and some of the stuff that his camp has put out. And because of that, there's, there's a chance that he may shock all of us and he may be a lot better... than than we're being led to believe, which I can see being possible. Now, obviously, Mickey Gall is here to play the role of spoiler. He is a a fighter that has, you know, had a couple of fights under his belt already, knows how to play this game, and I think has just a a more versatile toolkit. But I also think that Mickey Gall, and I've noticed this in the last few videos, is definitely a little bit more... I feel that he's a little bit too confident going into this fight, considering that, you know, CM Punk is, this is his first fight in the big dance, etc. etc. And I don't, I don't blame the guy because again, you're going in there fighting a, a, a pro wrestler who decided he wanted to be a mixed martial artist. Now, obviously many people look at Brock Lesnar's success and they're using that as the indicator. And I disagree a hundred percent. It's two different types of individuals. Brock Lesnar is just a freak athlete. In every sense of the word, and CM Punk is a guy that is like the rest of us. You know, even though he's a tremendous wrestler, knows how to work uh, the crowd, knows how to work the microphone, knows how to be a presence. He is like everybody else that decides that they're going to become a martial artist or a mixed martial artist in this case, and he has the same challenges that we've all experienced. Don't don't misunderstand. CM Punk took some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's taken some. You know, he's taken his fair share of, of punishment in the ring. He knows how to handle himself, but this is a completely different situation. And like I said, it's very easy to say, oh, Mickey Gall's gonna gonna steamroll C M Punk. But we don't know. We genuinely don't. And um, you know, I gotta say, as as somebody who has been watching C M Punk's development as a fighter very closely, I feel that we we're we're running into a very very unique situation because if CM Punk loses all the all the people that have that have written him off are gonna say see we told you he sucked now if he wins you're gonna have those same critics say oh you know Mickey gall took a dive or whatever the case may be and I gotta say go into this fight on Saturday with an open mind and let and let it play out the way it's gonna play out at the end of the day, CM Punk is a viable commodity. People are going to tune in because there's that curiosity, that interest in seeing if he's as good as, well, let me rephrase that, if he is at least decent in the cage, or if he's a sleeper that's going to go in there and become uh, the next face of the organization. With that, obviously, I'm going to go with the pick, and I'm going to say and and I'm and this is this is partially the wrestling fan but partially the guy that wants to see him succeed. I'm going to go with CM Punk on this and I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for it, but I I want to see Punk succeed. And I feel that what we've seen on video is not is not the full package. You know, it's we haven't seen the full the full toolkit that CM Punk has at his disposal and I think that that's something that many people are going to look past. I think Gall may look past it, and he may get caught. And at the end of the day, Punk—we ha- don't know what kind of of punching power Punk has that he can go out there and he could tag Mickey Gall and put him to sleep. We don't know. We're basing everything based on you know the Evolution of Punk documentary and a couple of videos that we've seen from his camp. So you can give me all the shit you want, guys, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Punk on this one. As for Travis Brown and Fabrizio Verdoom. I like both fighters, but I just feel that in terms of just being a complete fighter, especially when it comes to the ground game, I think Fabricio Verdum is going to try and work the angles, trip up Travis Brown, take him to the ground, and submit him. So I'm going with Verdum as my pick. Now, Stipe Miocic, Alistair Overeem, the first thing that comes to mind is that Overeem has a glass jaw, which obviously during his last couple of performances, we have seen that we have seen that be the case. But... Like anything else, Overeem has tremendous power in and both in his arms and also you know with knees and kicks as well. So there, there's always a puncher's chance for Alistair Overeem to be the upset king. But I am going to go with Stipe Miocic. I think Stipe is a more well-rounded fighter. He's a bit. He's more. You know, he approaches the fight game intelligently, and I think he's not going to try and stand too much. With Alistair Overeem, I think he's going to work the angles and try and get in there with some counter punches, maybe take Overeem to the ground. Not that Overeem is, is bad on the ground, because on the contrary, he's, he's pretty solid on the ground. But I just think that Stipe has a more well-rounded toolkit, and because of that, I think Stipe will retain and will go on to defend against Fabricio Verdum at a later date. As I said, those are my picks for the UFC 203 main card, which goes down this Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern on pay-per-view. Prelims, you have the early prelims on Fight Pass at 6 o'clock roughly, and then you have the Fox Sports 1 prelims at 8 p.m. I will try and give the remainder of my picks on Instagram, so keep an eye out for that. Just follow us on Instagram at RageWorks. Another card that I really wanted to talk about is taking place right after uh, the UFC 203 event, and that is uh, UFC Fight Night 94. That's September 17th. A lot of good fights there. Uh, really excited to see Michael Johnson, <clears throat> excuse me, take on Dustin Poirier and also Derek Brunson, Uriah Hall, which I think is going to be uh, Fight of the Night, and I'm really looking forward to that card. Of course, you're going to be able to see that card on Fox Sports 1, and on UFC Fight Pass. That card goes down September 17th, and during next week's show, I'll give you guys the full card breakdown as well as my predictions, so note that on your calendars. A little bit of fallout from the UFC acquisition is slowly starting to rear its head. Obviously, uh, we know that Dana White is staying on board, and we don't really know much else with regards to how the organization is going to move forward after being acquired. But it has been reported by MMA Junkie that, and this is pretty crazy, that UFC matchmaker Joe Silva will be leaving his job with the organization. Uh, All signs pointing to probably the end of 2016. Uh, Sean Shelby, who does the matchmaking for the lower weight classes, is being rumored to step in and assume matchmaking duties for the organization in its entirety. Joe Silva's had a a solid track record and put together some really stellar fights and cards. Curious to see how Sean Shelby is going to handle that. I mean, he's done really well with the lower weight classes, but now he's going to have the full roster at his disposal. Um, We'll see what happens if, you know, Joe Silva ends up departing at the end of 2016. Now, one of the guys and one of the names that, that has come across my desk over the last couple of days has been George St. Pierre. As many of you know, GSP has made him, put himself back in the testing pool for an opportunity to compete once again in the UFC. Now, there's a lot of different opponents that are at the UFC's disposal for a returning GSP. You have Damian Maya, who many people are looking at as a possible next contender. But obviously there's more money in a return fight with Nick Diaz. and of course, having GSP come in and fight Tyron Woodley since GSP never lost the belt to begin with is also on the table. Uh, GSP was on UFC tonight and he said that you know any of those guys, um, you know any of those guys would would be solid opponents. Um, it's a straight line. you've got to know who you've got to beat is pretty much how he said it. Me, personally, as a fight fan, I'd love to see him take on Nick Diaz one more time. I think there's great storytelling there. I think there's incredible marketing potential there. But there's also uh, the opportunity to test GSP and put him in the deep water and let him take on a guy like Tyron Woodley, who, again, is no slouch and as champion right now has definitely his eyes set on a big money fight. Don't get me wrong, Damian Maya is a solid opponent for GSP. I just don't feel that if you're going to have GSP come back, you want to give him a fight that not only is going to be good from a press perspective, but also just exciting as a whole. And I think that Damian Maya, for as as good of a fighter as he is, I think he doesn't have the spark at this time to put together and carry a card with GSP at the helm. Now. Uh, Mortis is asking, what's Joe Silva going to do now? Is he going somewhere else or doing his own thing? Um, per the MMA Junkie piece, I don't know if he's going go to go an to another organization. As of right now, it looks like he is just going to be stepping down at the end of the year. But of course, once I get some additional updates, I will definitely share them with you, Mortis. That's for sure. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was something that many people were really hoping GSP would sound off on. And that is the fact that Dana White said that GSP does not have the drive to be champion anymore. And, um, you know, a lot of people were, were taken aback by White's comments just because it's like, this is a guy that that has the potential to bring your organization a shit ton of money, one of the most recognizable faces on your roster that has been with the organization for quite some time. And for Dana White, as usual, to be Dana White, Um, I was curious to see if they would tackle that and they did. And GSP said, and I quote, he doesn't know anything about me. I'm a smart guy. I'm not the kind of guy, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to fight for peanuts. Let me fight once. And you'll see in the first minute of the fight that he's wrong. Let me fight Tyron Woodley. Then we'll see if I don't have, or I don't want to be champion again. And I think that the, what, what I took from that interview is that GSP is definitely focused, um, definitely in the zone and it's funny because, you know, MMA Fighting put out a piece about a documentary called The Hurt Business where GSP was interviewed. And um, when he was asked about it, you know, the, the, the documentary was filmed prior to GSP announcing his return to the sport. And it's funny because GSP actually said that, you know he you know, he said that critics were saying that he was fighting to win instead of finishing the fight. And GSP went on record and said that it's true. He said, toward the end, I didn't have the same anger. I didn't have the same drive to hurt the guy and to finish it. And it's a fact. I tried to get it back, but it's very hard. And I think the best way to get it back for me is to step out because it's more of an emotional thing. And obviously, as I said, this documentary was filmed prior to GSP's return to uh, announcing his return to the cage. But the thing that gets me is that, you know, we all knew that GSP's mindset changed after he reclaimed his title from Matt Serra, And I think that part of that reason is because GSP realized that he had to fight smarter and fight safer because being champion obviously has its perks. Now, the problem is that everything that made people love GSP was erased because he was playing it safe as, as a fight fan, I can understand why he did that. But I also respect that he went on record and said that he just felt he didn't have that killer instinct anymore and rather than try and, and phone it in, that he would walk away and collect himself and come back when, when that hunger was there. I, I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't know the guy personally, but I think that there's a lot of different elements at play when it comes to the fight game. As a fan, obviously, you expect the guys to go out there and pretty much kill each other at, at a moment's notice. But there's, there's a lot in terms of psychology that goes into it between the weight cutting and the press and everything else it does take its toll on you and if you don't have genuine animosity or you don't know how to turn on that switch or you just don't have the drive to turn on that switch anymore it's going to become pretty much as academic as you would expect it's going to be a fairly paint by numbers affair and I think that was the case for GSP in this instance like I said. I, I commend him for being honest and, and forthright with that because many people saw it and obviously hardcore fans didn't want to admit it, but GSP definitely was not the same killer we saw before he captured the title. You know, we, we saw something a lot different once he reclaimed it from Matt Sarah and to hear him say that, um, you know, it's pretty ballsy. Now, does that mean that he's going to come back into the cage and be a, a killer all over again remains to be seen. But I think that that psychological hump that he had to get over is something that I think he's he's over it. I think he's ready to come in there and show people why he is one of the best pound-for-pound fighters on the planet. And I think with the current crop of talent that the UFC has, we are definitely going to see something special regardless of who his opponent is. So as a fan, I, I can't wait to see GSP back in the cage. Of course, all signs originally pointed to him returning for the New York card. But right now it looks like he is probably going to be returning for the Vancouver card, which I believe um, is, I think it's one card or two after the New York card. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, GSP is back in the testing pool four months and we'll see what time it is. Like I said, we'll find out if it was all in his head and he's still the best pound for pound fighter on the planet, or if the sport has evolved so much in his absence, that there's just no place for GSP. An update from last week's story about Li Jingliang, which was about him testing positive for clambuterol. As I had mentioned, there was a uh, rumor and speculation about the clambuterol, uh, the positive for the clambuterol being uh, related to meat in China. And it turns out that that was the case. The USADA actually conduct, uh, conducted an investigation and determined that the amount of clembuterol in his system can, could be attributed to clembuterol that was in tainted meat in China. Um, of course, the Nevada State Athletic Commission can still have a suspension in place for Li Liang, But I think that based on the findings of the USADA, that may not be the case. In any case, Li Jingliang um, defeated Anton Zafir at the Tough 23 finale in July. So, you know, for for him to test positive was something that many people were were really disheartened about. But it looks like it may have been uh, related to, you know, tainted meat in China. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Nevada State Athletic Commission moves forward with any sort of penalties. But as per the USADA, um, it was... A test that uh, a positive that came from the the subject ingesting without any fault or negligence. So there you have it, guys. That's pretty much the latest update with regards to Li Jiang Ling's uh, Li Jing Liang's uh, positive drug test. So there you have it. Now, last bit of MMA news to wrap things up. really excited for this. Um, UFC 205, of course, going down here. New York City, November twelfth, which is uh, my three-year wedding anniversary, um, starting to come together with some dope fights. And the fight that was announced is insane Uh welterweight fight between Robbie Lawler and Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Um, really hype! This fight is going to be ridiculous. As soon as that bell rings, you're going to see rock'em sock'em robots from two of the from two of the best hitters in the welterweight division, and I think it's a great addition to what it, you know, the UFC is hoping will be a stellar debut in New York City on November 12th. Really pumped. Lawler and Cerrone is going to be a problem, and I think people are in for a treat with that fight, and I'm sure that the MSG debut for the UFC is only going to get better. Obviously, as more of the card begins to take shape, I will share those news with you guys. All right. So that last bit of news is actually going to wrap things up for the MMA segment for this week. Let us switch gears and jump into some wrestling. It pains me to say this, but we came off an amazing Raw last week that saw the crowning of a new WWE Universal Champion in Kevin Owens. Was really excited, was bummed that I didn't do a show last week to talk about it, but it's all good. Um, The fact is that that Raw was tremendous and gave us an amazing moment that many wrestling fans won't forget for the foreseeable future. And now this week's Raw. Just undid all of that. Like that. I was. Completely dumbfounded. By the way Raw played out this week. Not only because the matches. And some of the stuff that went down. Weren't at, weren't good. But just because in that opening segment. You made Kevin Owens look like a complete bitch. I say this because. Kevin Owens is really good at being sarcastic, at being, being Kevin Owens. And for Seth Rollins to come out and clown him, like, you know, shut your mouth. This has nothing to do with you. It's like you see that and you say to yourself, but he's the champion. It has everything to do with him. And I just felt that it was a poorly, poorly written segment. I understand that you're trying to get, you know, this new semi-face Seth Rollins out there but you're doing it at the expense of the guy who is quote unquote the face of your company and i just felt that the way that that played out just didn't do kevin owens any favors on the contrary kevin owens walked in there he he said his little smug comments he he shared his little smug uh anecdotes here and there but at the end of the day he was he played second banana to Seth Rollins. And while I like Seth Rollins, I'm a big Seth Rollins fan, I stand by the fact that when it comes to your show, your promotion, it's it's pretty much like you got to look at it this way. You got to look at the universal title as, you know, the planet, the main planet. Everything else revolves around that main planet. Whether it's your secondary title, your tertiary title, your tag team titles, I- excluding your women's title, but everything else orbits your flagship title and if you cannot give your the champion that owns, that holds that title at least a modicum of respect in the first raw after his win then you're already sabotaging what could be a stellar title reign i almost feel that this has been that if you're not careful you're gonna have what ha, what's happening with dean ambrose happen with Kevin Owens, which is a shame because Kevin Owens has the tools not only to be your champion and carry your company, but also deliver stellar wrestling matches with any guy you put him in there with. And the thing that has bothered me about it most was the fact that you have Kevin Owens out there. You put Kevin Owens in a match, a meaningless one for that matter, just for no reason. I mean, yeah, you know, you wanted to put him in there as punishment and whatever, and we're gonna show we're gonna flex our muscles, but was it really necessary? I mean, don't get me wrong, I understood why it was done, and of course you're taking advantage once again of the safe bet in Sami Zayn, but was it necessary? I don't think so. But there were a lot of bugs on this week's raw. So let's start as always with the bad. Bo Dallas's squash victory just came out of nowhere. Bo Dallas obviously if you guys have read uh various websites, you know that he was uh grabbed by police for being intoxicated and obviously next, you know, after after those after that quote-unquote uh disciplinary issue, the guy's back in the ring and he's squashing people. Look, I understand Bo Dallas is a it's a decent wrestler. I personally have never been a fan of his. I've always felt that all the praise that's that's heaped on Bo Dallas is overblown. I mean, I understand that he was good in NXT, and he was. But when you compare him to some of the guys that NXT had on their roster at the time and have on their roster currently, Bo Dallas is about as forgettable as you can expect. Now, this would have been a great time during the draft to draft Bo Dallas over to, say, SmackDown and put him with his brother, Bray Wyatt, as I feel that that combination would have worked. Obviously, you would have had something dark and devious in Bo Dallas, and you could have had, I mean, you could have in uh, Bray Wyatt, but then you could have had something uh, a little bit more uh, David Koresh-like with uh, with a guy like Bo Dallas, you know? You could have put them together, and you could have been from one extreme to the other, but together they would have just worked a lot better than the pairing of Eric Rowan and Bray Wyatt, which, as many of us have seen, uh, did not exactly go according to plan. Like I said, I understand that there's there's something that many people see in Bo Dallas. I personally don't see it. I see a guy that is a passable mid Carter at best, but is not as good as people are making him out to be. Um... <laughs> Mortis says you're going to mention the old day aren't you me personally I thought it was awesome I got to tell you the old day segment there were there were funny moments and I understand you know Mortis knows the participants of that segment personally and I think that they did a good job with what they were given but I think that utilizing Gallows and Anderson in this comedic uh bullshit role is just a misuse of their talent. The old day shtick, I'd expect something like that from, I don't know, maybe the villains or somebody else that wants to make fun of the New Day. I just don't see Gallows and Anderson as the guys that would bring that to the table. Gallows and Anderson are supposed to be the hitters, you know, badass dudes from New Japan Pro Wrestling. And all they've done is go out there and look like complete jerk-offs. And I'm just not a fan of that booking for two guys that were pretty much some of the most popular guys in New Japan. But then again, WWE hasn't exactly fared well with some of the talent that they bring over from New Japan. Uh, Tenzai, we're looking at you. So, obviously, Finn Balor, Nakamura, a couple of those guys, obviously, that's a different story. But with Gallows and Anderson, they just... I don't know if it's because they don't know how to book them, they don't know what how to how to portray them on TV, but... Having them go out there with the doctor gimmick and all these different, uh, you know, all these different initials for all these, it's just, it's just silly. It really is silly. The old day segment was amusing. Don't misunderstand. I just felt that the way it was executed and the participants, excluding obviously the old day and the new day were, were not the right guys for the job. So I, I personally was not a fan of that. Um, Darren Young and Jinder Mahal, I got to throw that there as well. I really don't understand what the end game is with Darren Young. I understand you want to quote unquote make him great again, but what does that mean exactly? Does that mean having him go after you know a secondary title, putting him in a tag team? What exactly constitutes make you know what constitutes making Darren Young great again? Putting him in there with Titus O'Neill for the eight hundredth time again. I like Titus O'Neil. He's a, he's a good performer. Not really sure about how he works as a singles competitor because he hasn't really hit his stride. And Darren Young, I like Darren Young. I think Darren Young is a complete wrestler, has the tools, but I've said it before, Backland overshadows him in a lot of instances and there's just there's just no real direction for him. Lastly, that Alicia Fox Nia Jax backstage segment was but in the words of Jr. Bowling shoe ugly. Holy shit, was that bad? Are we going back to Alicia Fox having tantrums on top of the fact that she did accidentally hit Nia Jax for real? And I was like, okay. And you could just see Nia Jax was like, all right, play it off, play it off. It just, it just looked shitty. It really did. And I understand that you're trying to give Nia Jacks, uh, you know, uh, an upgrade in competition, considering all the squashes, but. It was just poorly executed, really was, it looked really bad. In terms of ugly, as I said, the um, the opening segment, I I was not a fan of, like I said, I didn't like how Owens was presented, and the Shining Stars, Enzo and Cass segment was fucking atrocious. I really, I'm curious as to what happened with Enzo, this was a guy who, his NXT promo work was, you know, top of the food chain and his raw promo work has just fallen by the wayside. Not really a fan of what they've been doing. And I like Enzo and Big Cass. I just I just felt that entire exchange with the Shining Stars, the match itself, they were it was just an ugly turn up. It was just an ugly turn from start to finish. That's for sure. Now, there were some good moments. Charlotte and Bailey was a good match. Did, did we, you know, I understand where it's going. I think they're going to probably set up the, the Dana Brooke turn, which I hope happens sooner rather. I hope it happens sooner rather than later. I don't think Dana Brooke is the best uh, competitor, but I think with a little work, she can, she can be a, a, a character that people can get behind. I feel that they're not leveraging her athleticism and, you know, just the, the physical presence that she, that she's supposed to have alongside the other divas i mean being a lackey for charlotte that's pretty much what is expected i mean she was a lackey with emma to a point but i think that if you're going to do something this is the this is the time to do it only because you got bailey you got sasha who i mean who what other faces do you really have and i think dana brooke could could be a serviceable face i think she like i said she's got the look she's she's strong but they're not they're not taking advantage of that strength and athleticism at this point. So who knows? Maybe we'll get a face turn when it's all said and done. Uh, Rollins and Jericho was a really good match too. I, I felt that there was great chemistry there. Rollins looked like a million bucks, and Jericho did a good job in the ring with him. Uh, I, I think I could probably watch those guys feud for a little bit if, if it all came down to it just because their, their ring work was stellar. Cesaro and Sheamus's match, like mo- many of their other matches, was hard hitting. It was good, and I and I think that at the end of the day, the payoff's going to be that you know Sheamus is going to win three matches, Cesaro's going to win the three, and then when it's all said and done, we're going to get that seventh match, which is going to be the one that that everyone's going to remember. I, I I have no problem with it. I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, can we really watch these guys wrestle seven times?" I got no issue with it. I think Sheamus has definitely turned it up a notch. And Cesaro is consistently good. So we'll see what happens. But I, I definitely see Cesaro coming back, you know, being down three zip, tying it up three apiece. And then obviously we get the big uh, seventh match, which everybody will be on pins and needles for. Of course, the winner of this uh, best of seven will have a championship opportunity. So definitely worth keeping an eye on for sure. And of course, Owens and Zane. Owens and Zayn was was a good match. I felt that there was obviously great storytelling as usual, but I think we've gone one time, we've gone to the woodshed one time too many with this with these matches. And I knew this was going to happen. I said it before, I'm like, oh man, you know, Zayn and Owens is great. They were amazing in Ring of Honor. Some of the best ring work and promo work I've ever seen. But I think WWE is going to be, you know, they're going to crutch on that too much. And we're going to get so much of it that people are going to get tired of it. And the thing is, a lot of people are saying exactly that. They're like, "Oh man, again. Again with this shit." And I'm I'm kind of joining that. I'm kind of joining that crew of people only because I like both both performers. I think they're they're great. I think both of them have the potential to carry the company into the future. I just think that we've seen so many we've seen them square off so many times at this point that and you know it just it doesn't have it's not special anymore and i blame creative that's all i got to say now smackdown it was the last smackdown before backlash and much like raw it was it really wasn't it wasn't super memorable we had the miz taking on apollo cruz which was a good match but i think you're hurting apollo in the long run the you know the the competitors for the six pack challenge they they went they went in on a uh you know 3 on 3 tag match which was weird because obviously Carmella getting the victory was was a bit surprising but it was so forgettable only because you got only six competitors in this division when it comes down to it the only logical choices as champion are probably going to be either Nikki Bella or Becky Lynch and i'll be honest if i had to choose out of those two I would probably put it on Becky Lynch before Nikki Bella, only because I feel Nikki Bella's wrestling is on borrowed time, and I also think that she will probably be working a limited schedule. So, you know, putting putting the rigors of, of of being a champion on her shoulders at this point, coming off such a such a brutal injury, is just not it's just not fair to her as a performer. Plus, I think that Becky Lynch can really carry the division in terms of just star power and wrestling, but I also feel that SmackDown definitely needs to bring a couple of more ladies into the fold because otherwise we're going to be playing hot potato with the SmackDown women's title between these six performers. And out of all of them, the only one outside of Becky Lynch and Nikki Bella that I'd like to see win the belt would probably be Naomi or Natalia only because Natalia has been such a longtime competitor. And, um, she she deserves the opportunity to carry a division because she you know she does have the tools. We also got the the end of the SmackDown tag team tournament, which saw American Alpha defeat the Usos, which ended with an Usos heel turn and them injuring Chad Gable and removing American Alpha from this match. Of course, uh, Slater and Rhino defeated the Hype Bros, and I'll talk about how, how this affects backlash in a few minutes. I. I definitely feel that the Usos heel turn was was well done, and doing it against a team like American Alpha, which is super over, uh, was a good idea. I also think that you know bringing bringing this out of the Usos at this at this point is a step in the right direction. I think the Usos working as heels for a little bit is going to be a breath of fresh air for the division, and plus the Usos were were already put on that course. By their association with Roman Reigns, plus, like I said, they just kind of ran their course as faces. I think as heels, they're gonna they're gonna be bringing some really interesting um, mic work and chemistry to the table. And I think that the story between them and American Alpha is gonna be worth keeping an eye on for sure. As for Slater and Rhino, I don't hate the pairing. I think it's funny, which it's supposed to be. But um, you know, as a whole, I think that there's there's ample. There's there's ample potential there. Obviously saying that Heath Slater will get a contract if they win the tag team titles is kind of giving it away unless they want to find a way to where they lose but Slater still gets a contract. I think um Slater and Rhino winning the titles and then losing them on SmackDown Tuesday would be would be fine. I think it would be it would be a a good way to just kind of close out that chapter of the Heath Slater story. But we'll see what happens uh, a lot of a lot of websites have been reporting that American Alpha was written out because Chad Gable was genuinely injured and they used the uh, the uso heel turn to mask that uh, still looking for some confirmation and if there is something more credible, I will of course share it with you guys now an interesting piece of information came out from the wrestling Observer newsletter regarding Randy Orton and Uh, Brock Lesnar's match at SummerSlam. And pretty much a lot of people, including the Wrestling Observer, have said that Randy Orton has pretty much guaranteed himself a job for life uh, based on how that match played out. The reason is because if for whatever reason, you know, knock on wood, that Randy Orton were to develop any sort of brain damage due to, you know, the strikes that he took from Brock Lesnar, his family could actually sue the WWE and utilize that footage from that pay-per-view in order to, uh, you know, validate their case. Um, a lot of people were saying that, thing, you know, in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter was quick to point out that a lot of the reasons why wrestlers from past eras were not able to get any sort of legal headway in cases with the WWE is because they didn't have a quote-unquote smoking gun. In the case of Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton, the the smoking gun is right there with Brock Lesnar busting open Randy Orton hardway. Of course, you know, there's always there's always the chance that, you know, nothing can ever come of it. But right now, you know that the WWE has been dealing with these concussion issues and for them approving and Randy Orton agreeing to it. Obviously, a case can be made that, oh, well, Randy Orton agreed to it and he knew the risks. But being the the employer, you would you should be able to keep your performer safe. And I think that, you know, a lot of people have said this, you know, that that entire segment could have ended a lot worse than it did. Obviously, Randy Orton getting busted open and bleeding all over the place was the the expected result. But he could have suffered a concussion or some serious trauma if the strikes would have been a little bit more powerful or if Brock Lesnar would have slipped accidentally and hit him with a bit more force there, there's definitely a lot that can be said. And it's interesting because, you know, the wrestling observer newsletter pointed that out. And they also said that, you know, WWE is going to want to make sure that they, they kind of have Randy Orton taken care of, because like I said, if something develops down the road, there is a very, very strong case and the WWE could be in serious shit. I'm just saying, there you go. Uh, Mortis just told me that uh, Cesaro and Sheamus had their fourth match in England. And, of course, Cesaro beat Sheamus. Sheamus leads the series 3-1. to one. Thank you for that bit of news, Mortis. I appreciate it. As many of you saw on Raw this past Monday, we saw a little video package for the Cruiserweights, which will be coming to Raw in, I believe, two weeks. If you've been watching the Cruiserweight Classic, which I actually binge-watched uh, this past weekend, uh, you'll know that there's just some amazing talent there. We knew that a couple of guys were were pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered. Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, which have already, which those guys have been saying their goodbyes to some of the promotions they work with. Uh, Cedric Alexander, which if you saw the end of the Cruiserweight Classic, you know that it was a no-brainer. Rich, Rich Swan, Brian Kendrick, Noam Dar, TJ Perkins were guys that were 100 percent confirmed from various news outlets as being part of the Cruiserweight division, but also Graham Metalik, Akira Tozawa, and Jack Gallagher were also confirmed. And um, I think that the addition of, of of Gallagher was is great. I think he has all the tools if he's utilized correctly and not put into some sort of comedy gimmick. I think we can see something very special. Uh, Akira Tozawa is ridiculous. I think that guy is going to get over with the fans like that. And, of course, Grand Grand Metalik uh, right there with Lince Dorado, both two guys that I think that on a bigger platform are going to connect with the fans very, very well. I think Grand Metalik is going to be one of those guys that he's going to come out there, he's going to wow the crowd, and you're going to sell a shit ton of merchandise. We'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, the Cruiserweights are Raw Bound. I believe their debut is going to be September 19th. I know that the finals for the Cruiserweight Classic are the 14th, and then obviously we'll get the debut on the 19th, but really looking forward to seeing what WWE does with the Cruiserweight division. They went through all this trouble of putting together this Cruiserweight Classic. Now it's time to see if they can really give these talents an opportunity to shine the way that they're meant to. I got to... Some unfortunate news this past week about Scott Hall. Um, TMZ reported that Scott Hall was kicked out of TGI Fridays in Atlanta um, because he was intoxicated. Got into a uh, verbal altercation with the um, uh, the bartender and police were called. He was asked to leave the premises. But it's just disheartening to hear something like this because we know that Scott Hall has been battling... Um, you know, these, the, these alcoholism issues for quite some time. And I really hope that he's able, he's able to kind of get back, get get himself back on the wagon only because, you know, he's, he's had it, he's had it rough, you know, right up there with Jake, the snake, two guys that, you know, they've been battling demons, uh, substance abuse, alcohol abuse. And I really, I really just don't want to to open up my web browser one day or get a text message from someone saying, Hey, you know who passed away and it'd be Scott Hall just because there's, there's, you know, you got to WWE offers a rehabilitation program. I know that that a lot of performers have used that. I believe Scott Hall has used it, but we're reaching a stage now where, you know, the guy, the guy's going to pose a danger to himself and those around him. And I think something more aggressive needs to be done. I like Scott Hall. I think he's an incredible performer. I think he has, he had, some, uh, you know, uh, a, a treasure trove of, of great moments. And to see it pan out the way it has with him is just, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to see. And I'm hoping that he gets the help he deserves and hopefully uh, he gets himself together. Uh, really, you know, pulling for Scott Hall, I'm a big fan of his. I liked all his work in WCW, I liked his work in WWE. And, um, I really hope that he can, you know, he can become an asset to the company instead of being the guy that's automatically thrown under the bus by TMZ. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, last but not least, to wrap things up, um, want to give my picks for Backlash, which, as many of you know, is this Sunday on pay per view. Uh, Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton. We know that a lot of people are looking at this match as a way for Randy Orton to get back into. Uh, the main event sphere the main event space um, I think that the feud has the potential to be good in the long term I kind of felt that it was thrown together right now if I had to pick I'd like to see Bray Wyatt go over only because I think Bray Wyatt should be groomed as the next challenger uh, for the Smackdown title uh, the world title on Smackdown and um, Randy Orton is always gonna be he's always gonna be a title contender anytime you look at him but if anything, I'd like to put Randy Orton in a program with The Miz, especially just be- because I think him and The Miz would work very well together, not to mention the fact that it would add a little bit more star power to the mid-card. So I am actually pulling for Bray Wyatt on this one. Um, the IC title match, Miz and Dolph Ziggler, obviously they're, they're riding the wave of momentum that The Miz started with his promo on Talking Smack with Daniel Bryan. As much as people would like to see Dolph Ziggler win the IC title, I think that the smart money is The Miz is going to retain, and Dolph Ziggler is going to be one of those guys that's always going to be in the hunt. I think it's uh, smart booking if they did that, and I personally think that The Miz is going to retain. Now, due to the injury sustained by Chad Gable of American Alpha, they did a second-chance match, for a spot in the tag team tournament final, and it's going to be the Usos facing the Hype Bros. I feel that the uh, the the heel Usos are going to run through the Hype Bros. fairly easily and set up a showdown with Rhino and Heath Slater. Which to that point, I think Rhino and Heath Slater are going to win the win the belts. Um, Slater's going to get his contract, and then they'll probably drop the belts on Tuesday. I like the pairing of Rhino and Slater. But I think that, you know, putting them in there with the Usos and not having that come to a halt, at least on that Tuesday after the pay-per-view is, you know, it's just going to be something that would be considered uh, dropping the ball, in my opinion. So I'm I'm picking the Usos to go past the Hype Bros, go on to face Rhino and Heath Slater. Slater and Rhino win the tag team titles and then lose them on Tuesday probably to the usos <clears throat> probably to the usos in a rematch. So that's where I'm going with that. Six-pack challenge for the SmackDown Women's Title, Natalia, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Bella, Carmella, Naomi and Becky Lynch. While many people are obviously going to go with the easy pick in Nikki Bella, I'm going to go with the curveball and go with Becky Lynch. As I said, I feel that Nikki Bella working the limited schedule um, being champion is not going to do that, is not going to do her any favors. And I think that Nikki Bella's is at a stage where she doesn't need a belt to validate her as a performer. And I think that Becky Lynch does, especially because she hasn't been utilized correctly since being brought up from NXT. And I think she has all the tools to carry that division. If I had to go with anyone else outside of that, I, as I said before, Naomi or Natalia, but I think it's going to be Becky Lynch when it's all said and done. Last but not least, AJ Styles, Dean Ambrose. I like Dean Ambrose. And as much as I think that, you know, he has the tools to be a main eventer. I feel that WWE has dropped the ball with his title reign, with his character. It's just, I don't know. Is he, is he kind of crazy, a smart ass, a little bit of both? I don't know. They've, they've kind of, started it stopped and started his character so many times that I really don't know exactly what he's supposed to be yet. I also feel that AJ Styles is going to walk away the champion because putting the belt on Styles, giving him another match with John Cena and having John Cena win the belt is pretty much the, the road that, that many of us are, are seeing Uh, sooner rather than later. Like I said, I like Ambrose. I just feel that his championship run has left a lot to be desired. Not a fan. I really am not. I don't know if it's because of the way he's been booked or the opponents he's had or how he's been written, but not really big on, on the Ambrose title reign. I see AJ Styles walking away with the title, reinforcing that he is the face that runs the place, obviously setting up the inevitable showdown with John Cena. There you have it, guys. Those are my picks for this Sunday's Backlash pay-per-view on the WWE Network. Obviously, keep an eye out for our picks for the UFC card on Instagram. We may even put the picks on the site. We'll see. And of course, we got Backlash this Sunday. All right. Those picks are going to be the end of the wrestling segment for this week. So with that said... I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling this week. As always, I would love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out via social media. You can find my take radio on Twitter at my take radio, or you can also reach us via at rage underscore works. Look for rage works on Facebook, Pinterest, uh, Google plus, uh, Snapchat. And of course, Instagram as well. As for this episode, You can find it within 24 to 48 hours on RageWorks.net. Audio will be available in podcast format on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio within 24 to 48 hours of broadcast. And, of course, video archive, a a video version of this show will be available on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. And as always, you can find both audio and video on RageWorks.net. All right, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in to the MMA and wrestling edition of My Take Radio. Join us later today, now that it's Thursday, for the gaming and entertainment edition of MTR, which will be airing at eleven thirty p.m. Eastern, eight thirty p.m. Pacific, MTRLive.com for a live audio and video of that show. As always, if you have questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me, MTRhost at MyTakeradio.com. If you're interested in advertising during our MMA and wrestling segments, please feel free to reach out via the contact form on RageWorks.net or via email mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. All right, guys. I will see you guys later. Thank you guys for watching. Peace. I'm